with a little poll, actually. We're going to start with a little poll. Hopefully, you all know how to do that so you can respond to this poll. We can get some quick results. It's going to pop on your screen any second. Are you seeing the poll yet? No. Can't see the poll. I am a poll. Okay, we've never had the poll difficulty before. Okay, well, while we're waiting for the poll to pop up. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, there's your first question. You see your first question? Okay, your first one is a fun one. If you could choose only one food to eat today, would you choose the Hanukkah Laka, the Pesach Matzah with horseradish, the Rosh Hashanah Chala with apples and cinnamon, or the Shabbos Cholent? Maybe you choose none of those, but <laughs> okay, take a second and make your choice over there. And then we're going to go to your second question. Okay, second question. Ah, we have results already. Wow. 50% choose the Latka, 50%, 50%, the matzah with, with crane. <laughs> zero choose the Chala and zero chose the Cholent. Okay. Oh, we have another poll error. Okay, now we get to a, a more serious one. American society, or whatever country you're living in currently, use that society, Britain, Israel, wherever you are, Canada, is too careful with ethical speech, not careful enough with ethical speech. Okay, make your vote. Yes, the Jewish laser in space mythology. Okay, do we have the results on that one? Okay, 100%, not careful enough. I'm not surprising. Okay, let's go to our third question. <coughs> Jewish culture today is too careful with ethical speech. By too careful, that would mean um, we don't address wrongs. We sweep them under the carpet because we're too concerned about speaking out and not careful enough that we're reckless with our speech. What's your vote over there? Okay, let's see the results. Okay, 100% not careful enough. Okay, last question for your poll. Very interesting. I, meaning you, no, this is anonymous, no one's gonna see what you say. You are, you are too careful with your speech. You're, you're too hesitant to speak out or you're not careful enough at times. I know it's hard to put everything in binaries, but let's see what your vote is here. We'll look for the results. A hundred percent, not careful enough. Okay, okay. So it's very interesting. I think part of, um, um, part of the disinterest in this topic is that it's very uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. And one of the reasons that I think it can be very uncomfortable is because in liberal society, um, Western society at large, but even the more liberal elements, uh, regulation of speech is not deemed a high priority, right? What would be a typical liberal value of speech? It would sound like this, fight, speak out, fight, speak out, right? That the more virtuous you are is the more you speak out. Right, but the regulation of speech wouldn't necessarily be um, something that would be deemed virtuous. Of course, we know the Jewish approach 
is um, has a lot to offer here. We have a number of sources to look at, and we're gonna even have one breakout chavruta where people can learn a source together. And we have all this to do in just an hour. So the ethics of speech in a social media era. Now let's unpack a little bit about how serious this is. How much power is in our fingertips to readily share messages with thousands of people? Thousands of people in an instant. Not only the power to share with thousands of people, but that that speech is saved and stored, right? And have we asked the questions over the last two decades, especially the last decade, of how our writing and our speech is evolving given all these technological advancements? And how do we think about Jewish speech ethics in our day, the opportunities and the dangers when we're talking about how we talk about others. We're talking about mass public shamings. Now, of course, on the other hand, we do have to speak about others. It's not always true that less is more. We can't just say, don't talk about people and don't listen to people talking about people, right? You would have to fully remove oneself from the workplace, from social media, from news, from all social circles, uh, pretty much. And so we're going to explore some of those tensions without giving any easy answers as to how to resolve this. And one of the big challenges that we know is that Shmirat Halashon, guarding of one's tongue, was primarily intended for one person talking to one person. One person, not only talking to one person, but even if it was a group, talking to a known group. I know this group. This group knows me. But on social media, we don't even know who we're talking to anymore. We don't even know who's listening, right? If you take the famous Talmudic passage of the pillow and feathers, when you speak out into the world, it's like taking a pillow full of feathers and scattering the feathers into the air such that they scatter never to be retrieved because you can never retrieve those feathers. Today, with the amplification of scale and scope and the amplification of, this, of what is at stake, and given that what's at stake for people's lives and reputation, and that everything is saved and stored. So let's look at our, um, our first source here from a secular source. Okay, this comes from TechCrunch written in 2015. Tom Goodwin, the battle is for the consumer interface. Uber, the world's largest taxi company, owns no vehicles. Facebook, the world's most popular media owner, creates no content. Well, that's not entirely true, but you get the point. Alibaba, the most valuable retailer, has no inventory. I'm not sure how much of this has changed over the last six years. And Airbnb, the world's largest accommodation provider, owns no real estate. The internet is the most powerful mechanism we can imagine to match perfectly individuals that need something and people who, uh, with something to offer. The new breed of companies are the fastest growing in history. Uber, Instacart, Alibaba, Airbnb, Seamless, Twitter, WhatsApp, Facebook, Google. These companies are indescribably thin layers that sit on top of vast supply systems where the costs are and the interface with a huge number of people where the money is. There is no better business to be in. So what happens here in, in a world where commerce and economies are built upon um, reputation are built upon uh, very thin layers upon vast, deep uh, social interconnectedness. <coughs> the power of, of reputation, of online reviews, 
of online commerce. So we see that what's at stake here is not merely personal reputations, but entire economic systems, massive companies, uh, workforces, and um, the reputation that people we seek to defend. Let's bracket celebrities and individuals, the reputations people will seek to defend of their businesses and what's at stake for the global economy. Let's go to our next source here. Feel free at this point, by the way, to chat in the side if you ever want. Um, if you ever uh, want to chat in the side, otherwise we'll open it up later. Okay, so there's this book written by John Ronson. So you've been publicly shamed. <coughs> and he writes, <clears throat> four weeks later, Lindsay Stone, someone he was just writing about, and her coworker, Jamie, were out celebrating Jamie's birthday when their, when their phones started vibrating repeatedly. Someone had found the photo and brought it to the attention of hordes of online strangers. Soon there was a wildly popular Fire Lindsay Stone Facebook page. The next morning, there were news cameras outside her home. When she showed up to her job at a program for developmentally disabled adults, she was told to hand over the keys. After they fire her, maybe she needs to sign up as a client, read one of the thousands of Facebook messages denouncing her. Woman needs help. She barely left home for the year that followed, racked by PTSD, depression, and insomnia. I didn't want to be seen by anyone, she told me last March at her home in Plymouth, Massachusetts. I didn't want people looking at me. <clears throat> and so we see one case among countless that seek to demonstrate what um, public shaming can do to an individual. Not only what it can do to their career, what it can do to their financial stability, but what it can do to their mental health and basic emotional well-being. Hey, Rabbi, do you have a second? Yes. yes. Uh, to put this into context, the reason why people were even uh, reaching out to this person is because she had, I guess the, what the story was that she, there was a photo of her apparently flipping off the um, tomb of the unknown soldier at Arlington Cemetery. Mm. And someone had posted that somewhere else and then it went viral. And that's why uh, people called her out on it. Okay, good. So thank you for sharing uh, that context, because it is important, because I would suspect that all of us, and actually makes it even more important, that context, AJ, because um, it's a reminder uh, that I, I suspect all of us would have disagreed with her action and would have denounced such a photo. And that's why it's even more important to share it when we would, we would uh, disagree with the action taken, because um, we ask ourselves about the limits. We can ask ourselves about the limits, about how someone should be punished. Okay, so let's look at some Torah. Obviously, starting with Vayikra. Oh, actually, just before Vayikra, Rabbi Jonathan Zex. So, um, um, uh, of blessed memory. He writes here in Morality, his, uh, his recent book that just came out, just won Jewish uh, uh, Book Council Award a few days ago. Some deep and destabilizing transformation is taking place in the 21st century, but it is hard to say what. In an age of information overload, when so much of the news comes to us in small, such small disconnected slices, we live in a world of dry sound bites, which increases our sense of not knowing where we are. This can lead to feelings of powerlessness, anxiety, and fear, and a desperate desire to find people who will resolve the dissonance for us. Okay, so part of what's happening here with Sachs is the idea that there is so much information. There is the false news culture. Uh, the um, their fake news. There is such a disconnectedness knowing that we're getting a soundbite. We're getting a tweet. 
we're getting a, a, a news headline. We always know we're getting part of the story. Um, only a small bit of a very complicated story, whether it comes to medicine, it comes to law, it comes to politics, um, even if it comes to Torah, that we're getting a very small bit. And thus, with all of this powerlessness and anxiety and fear, there's this desperate desire, he writes, to find people who will resolve this dissonance for us. And so um, it, it, it feels comfortable to hide in the certainty, the certainty of, of extremes around how we think of, 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 of truth. Okay, now, now, now we can go to Vayikra. Okay, so to look at our two most important verses here, first in Vayikra 1916, You shall not go around as a gossip monger among your people. You shall not stand by the shedding of your fellow's blood. I am the Lord. Okay, now this is so, so gavalic. This is such an amazing pusuk. Um, verse. And what's not what's what's amazing is not only that, but the two verses that that come right after it. Because what this verse says, if you just talk about Rahilut, if you talk about gossip, oh, let me just put a, a, a few quick phrases out again for those who aren't familiar. So again, Shmirat Lashon, guarding the tongue. Rahilut, gossip. Motzi Shemra, slander or defamation. So here, Lotelech Rahil, Rahilut. So this is about gossiping. And it says you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't gossip about people, right? Okay. But then what's so amazing is as very as part of the same verse, it then says you can't be a bystander. So someone unmute yourself. What is the relationship between those two? Gossip is a way of killing people. Okay. Okay. So good. So one read of it is that the second part of the verse is reinforcing forcing the first part. You shouldn't be a gossip monger, and you should know that if you gossip, right, like the Talmud says, to shame a person is like killing them. It's like killing them. So one read of this could be the second part of the verse is reinforcing the, fir the first. Anyone want to take a, a, another view? Okay, so I, the, the opposite view of what Eileen shared is that it is the opposite. It, it is that you shall not gossip, but at the same time, you have a conflicting command. You can't be a bystander in front of injustice and evil. You got to speak out. You got to stand up. So on the one hand, you can't gossip, right? On the other hand, you're now confronted with an injustice. You can't simply say, oh, I can't talk about people. I can't get involved in messy things that I don't know about. You got to take a stand. You can't be a bystander. Now, what's interesting is the two verses that come right after this, 1917, is, to, is tochacha rebuke. There is a mitzvah deraita, a uh, commandment from the Torah, to speak out against, um, well, speak out might, might be a little too strong. Give feedback, give rebuke, give um, um uh, give uh, uh, harsh or difficult or constructive feedback to others who are crossing a boundary. Tocha. And what comes right after that is you should not hold a grudge. You should not hold a grudge. And part of the relationship between tocha and not holding a grudge is holding a grudge is a problem religiously. And so you have to give the tocha to release that upon yourself, to release that burden from yourself um, in order that we can um, help to solve that wrong. Okay, questions or thoughts on those three verses? There's so much, I mean, we could spend the whole session on those three. We have much, much bigger things to do, but questions or thoughts on, on, those, on those three verses in, in, in Vayikra? 
great. Okay, so let's go to the next Vikra. We can always come back to this. Tw uh, only, um, only a few chapters later, a few uh, chapters later. Lo, velo tonu ish et amito viareta melohecha ki ani aronai elohechem. Lo tonu. So, it, it, you know, it's funny. If you, if you say Pesach to, to most Jews, religious, secular, anywhere on the spectrum, everyone knows what you're talking about. You say Shema Yisrael, everyone knows what you're talking about. You say Shabbat, everyone knows Kashrut. When it comes to faith statements or ritual statements, people know what kosher is, what Shabbat is. You say Ona'ah, you say Ona'ah. Who knows, right? Okay, you have to have a pretty significant Jewish education to know what Ona'ah is. Ona'ah means oppression. It means oppression, right? And, um, uh, and, and, and in one context, it emerges with um, the oppression through wages, through not paying a worker properly. And here we're dealing with onaat devarim, oppression through words, right? Wronging someone through words. This is a different context from, um, from the context of, uh, of, of a Yikro we talked about earlier. Not just about gossiping, but directly, directly harming someone through words. This can happen. Um, gossip implies a third party. This can happen directly, one-on-one -on -one to the person, right? You can... Um, you can be uh, have have a colleague, have a friend, have a spouse, have a child, have a parent, and you speak demeaning to them, um, and you you harm them in some way. Okay, this is a whole big category. So let me pause for a second. The Jewish tradition is obsessed with shmirat halashon, with guarding the tongue. Why is that? Why is that? What's at stake? What's the concern? What are some of the concerns? And feel free to unmute yourself. What are some of the concerns with the power of speech? What are some of the things we're concerned with? Language forms our basis for beliefs. Language also is imbued with many meanings between connotation and denotation. And language can be extremely harmful. Great. Harmful to who? Uh, I'm reading Concealed. And as an example, the mother language is in my way of thinking abusive to the daughter yeah okay okay oh, okay very good so so eileen has two 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 prime first ideas here first language forms beliefs this is about the self and about our our collective second there can be damage there can be injury as we saw you can ruin someone as we saw, given the viral nature, and not even a viral nature, but given the, the stored and saved nature. Anyone else? What, why else is our Jewish tradition obsessed with this idea of Shemir HaTalashot? Because as you were talking about earlier, yeah. once you say something, yeah. you can't take it back. If you say it in anger and then you think about it and you say, oh, well, I really didn't mean that. It's, you right. can't take that back because it's going to hurt another yeah. person. The other thing is, is once you start having this kind of thing it's easier to continue to to use the language in a horrible manner so it becomes like an easy thing for you to continue doing habitual thing oh excellent excellent okay great so um so barbara adds two more elements here one the idea that you can't take it back we've all had this experience think of the, everyone remembers maybe not everyone most of us remember the worst thing that people we love have ever said to us Right. It might have been a horrible thing. It might have been not a horrible thing, but a not nice thing. Right. Whether it was a parent, it was a spouse, it was a child, right? It was a friend, right? There was some conflict and someone crossed the line and said something in the heat of the moment or wrote something in a text or in an email, and we can never forget it. 
right? And so you can't take it back when you say it. And all the more so in the social media era, once again, where it goes viral, you can't take it back. Like again, the feathers in the pillow, right? And you can't, um, it might be saved, it might be stored. And then Barbara's other point, the habituation. We habituate ourselves to, to ways of speech. Okay, one more person. Why else is why else are the rabbis and the Torah uh, obsessed with Shmirat Halashon? What else is at stake? We have it written in the book of Bereshit that Hakadosh uh, Baruch Hu created the world through language. Beautiful. Uh, ten acts of speech. God created the world, and therefore mm, we are conscious that you can create something through speech. Beautiful. Um, you Beautiful. can create love and you can create hatred. You can create indifference through acts of speech. Amazing. Amazing. So um, so Jonathan deals here with the spiritual element and the theological element that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that Briat Olam, that the creation of the world happens through speech, we learn through our tradition. The power of language to create right, a speech act, it can be, it, it's creative and, it, and, it, and it, it's manifest as a reality. The Baal Shem Tov says, as, as opposed to, uh, um, uh, um, uh, who said, I think, therefore I am, uh, begins with a D. Descartes. <laughs> Descartes. So Descartes, I, I, where it's, it is in thought, I therefore am, in a similar but in a contrasted way, the, the, the best says, you are where your thoughts are. Like literally your reality is where your thoughts are. And all the more so when thoughts move into language, that language on a, on a spiritual level has um, a, a huge, a, a, a life to it. There's a life force to it, okay? So here we're gonna get to a Sfat Emmet later. And here we deal with the self, the toxicity of one's mental realm. The toxicity of the ideas and the and the and the language that infuses the subjective and, and the mental realm. And the last point I'll lay out, although there's many more, but in the interest of moving on, is the issue the issue of midot, our character, in regards to emet, the, our character as it's committed to truth, our our uh, character as it's committed to anivut, uh, humility, as opposed opposed to gaiva. That what does it mean to have the arrogance to speak out without truth, to speak out loudly? Um, that can create harm. Okay, so so to sum up so far, then I'll take any questions or comments before we move to the Rambam and to the Chafetz Chaim. Um, we, what we've said so far, we saw this first source dealing with how commerce today is built, how our commerce system is built, the economy rests upon reputation, and then this idea of public shaming and the damage that can come to another, and then Sachs over there about how our news and our truth comes in, Rabbi Sachs, um, of, uh, of uh, uh, that we have these little news bites, we have these little snippets of truth we have access to. And if I was going to gift one more Torah source from Chumash right now, it would be Miriam and Aaron. Um, and, um, and the plague that emerges through Lashon Hara towards Moshe, right? That they, that is, um, we see a case there. Actually, some have suggested that actually the sin there was not only Lashon Hara, but actually racism, because Moshe is with a, uh, a Kushite. Akushi, and uh, and she's black, and that they are not only speaking out, but they're speaking out um, uh, in, in an act of racial injustice. Um, in any case, okay, so what we're going to do now is give everyone a few minutes, in, uh, only only uh, only four minutes, given the, given the time constraint, to, to learn a Rambam together. Let's put the Rambam on the screen. Okay. We know who the Rambam is, and let's look at his timeline real quick. A brief reminder, 
of the Rambam's timeline. I think folks here uh, are familiar. Oh, so they're familiar with the Rambam. And so just if you want to glance over there, reminder, his primary three works are his commentary on the Mishnah, his Mishnah Torah, and his work of philosophy, the Mornavuchi. Okay, so let's go to the, to the Makor here, to the source here from his, his commentary on Pirkei Avot. And um, he lays out five categories of speech, the commanded, the prohibited, the unseemly, the beloved, and the permitted, based on this Pirkei Avot here. And I'm now, we're now going to move you to a breakout room for four minutes with, with someone where you can learn this source. If you're both comfortable in Hebrew, you can do that. If you're both more comfortable in Hebrew, in English, you could do that. If you're, if you're divided, then just stay in the English so everyone knows what's going on. And um, the PDF is in the chat over there. So you can pull up the PDF uh, with your chavruta. Okay, take four minutes. Let's break them up. Were you able to get through that? Was that enough time? No. Uh, not enough time. Okay. No. So I'm sorry it wasn't enough time. Um, we really could spend half hour just on this Rambam um, on Pirkei Avot here. And um, I, as you probably noticed, I didn't quote his, his, his point three and five. Uh, I took out three and five. He says five categories of speech, the commanded. What is the commanded? He says public reading of Torah and the like, the prohibited. That's, that's the third paragraph there. That has to do with edut sheker, false testimony, rechilut, gossip, lashon hara in general. Number three, I, I didn't bring the full source. You can look at it later if you're interested. I could send it to you. That's the unseemly. The fourth is the beloved, which is quoted here. Um, and then the fifth wasn't quoted, was, was just the permitted. So let's let's read this fourth paragraph here um, and, and take any thoughts or, uh, folks have on here. The fourth category, the beloved, is speech praising intellectual and moral virtues and denigrating lowliness in these areas, intellectual and moral. Also included the arousal of the soul to these virtues through stories and poetry and avoiding lowliness through the, these very means. Also included praising exemplary people and extolling their virtues. And friends, here's where it gets complicated. And denigrating the lowliness of bad people so that their actions and reputation be denigrated in everyone's eyes and people will distance themselves from them and not act as they act. And some people call this category by which I mean the study of moral virtues and distancing of moral lowliness, derech eretz. Okay, so I wanna take your thoughts on this last part of the Rambam because here's where things get messy. We just saw there's a mitzvah deraita there in Vayikra, not to engage in rechilut. Then we saw in, in uh, later in Vayikra, um, the notion of ona'at devarim, the, the harm you can cause others. Okay. And, and a million chazals, rabbinic sources that deal with the damage you will cause. We, lays, we, we together laid out half a dozen types of concerns that are involved here with Shmirat Halashon. And the Rambam agrees. But then all of a sudden, the Rambam says, oh, but that doesn't apply to ra'im. The, the bad people, the bad people, you got to shame them, break them down, right? And why do you want to do that? So that people know to distance from them and not act as they act. So let's take questions or thoughts on that. Um, what's at stake in what the Rambam is doing here? And how do you think this applies today and doesn't apply? Only big questions. Yes, it applies. Absolutely. Yeah, so, how, so, so how would you apply it, Eileen? What would be a case today 
where you would say, you don't have to go so specific, but what's a type of case where you might say, um, we should name it publicly, we should denigrate. Politics. Politics, okay. So why should politics be an exception? Why should, if there's a politician we think is a wicked person, um, that we should we should publicly denigrate them? Yes. Why, yeah, why? Because I think politicians have moral leadership and they should be model citizens. Okay, so, okay, great. Oh, sorry, sorry, I cut you off, Eileen, keep going. So that we and our children can look up to them as role models. Okay, so Eileen suggests politicians should be role models. The stakes are high. They should represent virtue for our society and for our children. And when they don't meet that, and it's we know they haven't verified, they haven't met that, we should pu- we should rely on the Rambam here to publicly um, uh, harm their reputation, denigrate their character, so people know not to be like them, not act like them. Does anyone want to put up a counter argument there? I do. Barbara, yeah. Okay, I don't like the idea of just denigrating the whole person. I would say, what is their stand that is so bad? So, mm-hmm. for example, if someone is a racist and they're a politician, then you can uh, narrow in on the fact that they're a racist, but not not the whole person. So that's good. Where okay, I- Barbara. So, so good, Barbara. We're going to see this distinction what you just made in the Rambam versus the Chafetz Chaim because the Rambam says Haraim. He says evil people, whereas Chafetz Chaim is going to deal with bad deeds that people do as opposed to bad people. But the Rambam seems to think there are these people called bad, that are wicked people. And I wonder, Barbara, if I can push you a little bit, what is a case, let's say not a politician, but what is a case in the world where you would say we should make it about the person themselves rather than their actions? Is there any case you would say that? Um, about I, Normally we say make it about critique the sin, not the sinner, right? But is there any case you would say critique the person themselves? If, if a group wanted to kill another group, if the person was behind killing another person, then I think you should, uh, that's truly a bad person and you should you should do what Rambam says. Okay, great. So Barbara would say when it's life or death, it's a pikuach situation, the stakes are so high that um, we can't just denigrate the action they're doing. We have to go after the personhood themselves, the person themselves. Okay. Anyone else want to comment on the Rambam before we, we move to the Chafetz Chaim? Questions or thoughts on the Rambam? Rabbi, to echo off of that, what about if somebody who incites violence, who um, pursues for those to act in violence? Good, good. Yep. So, um, right. So, yep. So you're adding on to Barbara. Are you you saying you agree with Barbara and you're raising the stakes one one level higher? Correct. Okay, great. So someone who who, um, not only is saying they will commit mass murder themselves, but one who is inciting others to do that. Uh, we should go after that person themselves. Okay, anyone else? Okay. I, I would like to yes, please. ask about, I would like to ask about the rule of Hamal bin Neschavero Barabin, yeah. that you're not supposed to embarrass somebody publicly because this is considered as if you've murdered them. Excellent. Great. Thank you, Jonathan. So this is a major, major concern that even with a wicked person, um, we apply the concept in general um, that we should not shame a person. Um, 
And, um, and, and like we said, that that itself is like, is, is akin to murder in Chazal. And so now we have to enter some very murky territory where on the one hand, the Rambam says there are bad people and we have to publicly denigrate them. On the other hand, we know publicly denigrating them, them is himself an Avera, is itself, uh, is uh, a, a, a wrong a wrong choice. So the, let's see how the Chabetz Chaim is going to navigate this um, and, and into this tension that Jonathan's raising here. Now let me let me uh, pre- preface this by saying the Chabetz Chaim changed my life. I would not be um, anyone who I am without the Chabetz Chaim. I grew up as a kid with sticks and stones will break your bones and and words will never hurt me. I bro- I grew up with very basic ideas of speech. Right, basically defend yourself and um, be strong. Don't let other people's words hurt you and try to say nice things, not not nice things. But then I learned, I learned in college, the um, Chavetz Chaim's work on Shmir Talashon. And I, it, it literally transformed my life, not because I mastered anything close to what he was suggesting, um, but because I saw the power of the Jewish tradition to go into the deepest details around ethics around ethical concerns, that basic ideas around speech in the modern world, um, I saw in our tradition that he had gone into chapter after chapter of scenarios and rules. Now, to be sure, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein famously said the Chavetz Chaim went too far, um, that he um, didn't acknowledge enough the people's need to know, he said. They didn't acknowledge it. The people need to know stuff, right? And the Chavetz Chaim really wants to defend uh, people. So here's a little background on him. Born in Poland, 1838, uh, you know, taught, taught in Minsk, formed Yeshiva in Radin. Um, he, he, his work is called the Chavetz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan. And he writes the Mishnah Brewer, his, his work of Halakha, and he passes away at 95. There's this great video footage, which you've probably seen, little short old man. I mean, a true gadol, but physically a short old man. And he's walking um, and you can see him with his head down as he walks. Uh, very modestly, very, very humble person. And, you know, one of the stories I love to tell about him is um, he was visited by some American tourists and they found him in a very small study with a rickety table and some small books. And the first thing they said to him is, they said, Rabbi, where's, where's your possessions? And he said back to them, where's yours? And they said, no, no, we're, we're, we're just passing through. And he said, so am I. <laughs> and, uh, and the Chavetz Chaim you know, there's so many stories um, that are, 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 can be fantastical about him. And yet, um, I think that um, what, the, the common phrase that people like to say, yes, it's not clear if they're all true, but they don't tell those stories about you and me, <laughs> right? So there are stories told about the Chavetz Chaim that the common person, like myself, wouldn't have such stories told about them, right? As being such a tzaddik, you know, and, and such a chassid of the, 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 the levels of kindness and care they took in their actions. And so he, um, he really was um, a, a remarkable person of, of a Torah scholar and kind of a moral giant. And we can, nonetheless, we can still agree or disagree and, and, and go into the depths of his, uh, his suggestions here. Okay, so let's go to his source. We're gonna read this, uh, I'm gonna read this aloud and then we're gonna uh, look at this together. If you see that one person has harmed another such as theft or exploitation or harm, whether or not the victim is aware of the injury, or shame or causing pain or suffering with words, and you know with certainty that the stolen property has not been returned or the damage has not been compensated or that the assailant has not apologized to the victim, even if you are the the only witness. You may tell other people so that they can help the victim 
and to denigrate these bad deeds. Remember I said earlier, we're going to contrast the Rambam saying ra'im ra'im, the evil people versus here the Chavetz Chaim is talking about the bad deeds. However, take care that none of these seven criteria be missing. So here's the Chavetz Chaim. He says, okay, if you must speak out, here's the seven things you must take uh, care to do um, when doing that. First, you have seen inside yourself rather than through hearsay, unless you have later clarified that the matter is certainly so. So you are certain that this is true, what you are going to speak out about. Number two, you must be extremely careful not to immediately determine that this is in fact the case of theft, exploitation, or harm. Rather, deliberate carefully over the matter and whether it is classified as theft or harm, right? You're not only true about what it's, you're not only certain about the truth of what happened, you're true that you are certain about the category that it should fall into legally. Thirdly, you must initially confront the assailant using gentle language in hopes that you can affect her or him and that this will lead him or her to improve their ways. And only if they do not respond, can you publicize what they have done to the victim. And if you know that this confrontation will not be accepted, okay? So thirdly, you are going to approach the person who has done harm to try to quietly resolve this, this issue. And only if they're not responding to you or they make clear they're not interested in resolving this, can you engage publicly. Number four, you must not magnify the wrongdoing beyond what it actually is, right? Be very exacting in what you say was done. Number five, your goal must be rectifying the wrong and not, God forbid, entertainment at the stigma you are placing on the assailant, nor satisfying enmity that you already bear towards her, right? Now, uh, what does this mean for watching any comedy today? <laughs> I mean, the truth is, once again, it is assumed in the liberal world. Up, oh, enjoy any TV show or movie you want. It's all just good humor. But really, as a religious person, however we understand that, the most pluralistic of ways, religious person, one has to say, what, what do I watch? What do I listen to? Does, the, does this comedy I listen to cross a line in terms of how they mock, right? It, it, and now, now, I sound like a pious fool when I say that in the modern world, right? A pious fool who says, oh, we shouldn't watch every TV show. We shouldn't listen to every podcast because they cross a line in terms of um, how they're dealing with certain wrongs, right? Not only do you not know if it's true what they're talking about, um, but will they go beyond? Number six, if you can bring about the rectification of the wrong through other means such that you would not need to spread this gossip about the assailant, then it is entirely forbidden to do so. Once again, if there's any other way Right, you already approach the person, they don't care about you. Is there someone else you have access to who can help them change their ways? If there's some way that you can create this, make ensure this assailant will change their ways, doing that instead of speaking out. If there's any way, forbidden to speak out. And lastly, that the harm will come to the assailant through the spreading of this knowledge it will not exceed the judgment that would have been rendered had proper testimony um, been offered in a court by a baked in. Wow, wow. That the damage that's done from your speaking out will not cause more harm to them, the assailant than the legal process would have done to them. Let's say 
Okay. Let's say the person stole a hundred dollar object, a whole hundred dollar object. And by calling them out publicly for the, for the theft of a hundred dollars, they now lose their job, right? Lose their reputation, literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of damage in their lifetime, what you've done to this person. Let's say a person said something racist. Okay. Okay. Now this gets, this gets complicated. Said something racist and you call them out publicly for what they said, racist. They said, what would their penalty have been in a court? And what is, what is the, what is the damage that has been done to them by publicly calling this person a racist? Right. Okay. So um, that was that. So that last one is the issue of proportionality, the proportionality. Does the um, impact of my speaking out match what they deserve. Now, uh, I'm, I'm going to lay out what I understand the Chafetz Chaim's three priorities to be, and then I want to hear your questions and thoughts and agreements or disagreements with, uh, with his source um, and ideas or, or with how I've presented them. I want to suggest the Chafetz Chaim's primary concern is justice for the victim. The main concern is there is someone who has been harmed, and we must make sure that the victim um, has justice. They get their stolen object back. They get their dignity back. The second concern is the, the dignity of the assailant. The dignity of the assailant, not only the dignity, that the assailant not be harmed. And only third is the public's need to know at all. So let me say that again. You'll tell me if you agree or not. First, he's, he's very adamant. You got to speak out. If it, right, you got to speak out if this wrong is happening. We can't live in an unjust world. But if you're going to do that, you got to do it to where we get to our second concern, where the where we have some concern for the assailants, because the assailant is not them over there. We're all assailants, right? Every person does creates harm in the world, right? I mean, just think of like environmental damage. Like that's the most obvious case. There's nobody who doesn't negatively impact the environment, right? Let's let's get let, we'll we'll bracket the more complicated areas. Um, um, so the assailant, um, our concern for the assailant, and then lastly the public's need to know about what's going on at all. I would suggest in kind of the liberal zeitgeist today that the third concern is the primary. Oh, I hear something's wrong. I don't even verify if it's true or not. I'm going to blast it out on social media, right? Everyone needs to know what I think and what I think happened based upon one headline of a news story I saw. Okay, so let me pause here. Um, do you agree with the Chavetz Chaim? Do you think he goes too far, not far enough? How do you think this applies today? Let, let's uh, feel free to unmute yourself. I think the proportionality argument, number seven, is indeed, I agree with you, the most important one. Um, people shout out their point of view because they want to be heard, um, regardless of uh, the proportionality argument of the Rambam. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. Someone else? Okay, so as, as we wait for others to weigh in, I want to lay out the tensions here a little bit um, about what we're dealing with. So on the one hand, we know re religiously, ethically, we have to be done l'chafzchut. Give the benefit of the doubt. How can we ha possibly have conversations about people we don't even know? We don't even know them. We attack them. We respond to them personally without even knowing these people. Right? We shame someone publicly, and doing that is an Avera. Our tradition places it as such a, a major wrong. On the other hand, what are the stakes of silence amidst abuse? Right? 
That's the other half of Vayikra, right? We saw the first half of that verse said, don't gossip. The other half said, don't stand by the blood of another. The way I'm interpreting that here is the stakes of silence. We must respond to injustices in a global injustices in a globalized, interconnected era without knowing each other, right? And Rabbi Yuval Shirlo writes that this is not the, that that most suggest that when we talk about speaking out, that's the power of a bait din. But he says actually the institutions of hierarchy have been dismantled, and that power lay, it falls upon and responsibly falls upon laity also. The power of laity also to responsibly speak out. And as we saw in another verse in Vayikra, the mitzvah of tocha, tocha, of rebuking. And yet we also know the counterweight of not public, publicly shaming. So there's this dialectic here of tensions, right? That we need to, um, um, that we need to uh, give the benefit of the doubt. We can't speak about that, which we don't know about. We can't shame others. And yet we can't always be silent. Uh, we see the use of social media in shaming to give a get. This is this. Uh, many rabbis have advocated that when uh, there's an aguna situation, a, um, a an observant uh, man who will not give an observant woman, I mean, or lots of lots of qualifiers there, but you get the point, uh, will not give a get, so she cannot remarry. That uh, and they've tried everything that they now uh, are allowing public shaming in order to uh, enable that get to be given, so that she can move on with her life, and so. Um, uh, and so then thirdly, um, we're going to have to navigate this tension between point number one and point number two very differently uh, in our own lives and our situations. And yet, what can they have in common? So what I want to suggest that what we have to do is take a deep cheshbon hanefesh, a deep self-accounting about why am I speaking out? What is my hunger to speak out? Right. And how am I speaking out? And there's this world of moderation between these two extremes, this let's call it very pious approach of, I will never speak out about a wrong from someone else, right? Lest I violate Shmirat HaLashon. And this other much more common extreme of, I will speak about it, everything that hits the newsfeed, anything that seems, uh, that comes across my desk, I will speak out about the evils and the wrongs. And there's this world of Jewish moderation between these two extremes where regulating our speech um, and engaging in the power of silence. You know, it's funny when people quote Elie Wiesel, they most famously quote the idea that silence helps only um, uh, the oppressor and not the oppressed. And when it comes to justice issues, that is very powerful. What does it mean to not be a bystander in the face of evil? That who does silence really help? And yet Elie Wiesel's son uh, has pointed out um, numerous times that his father was also a master of silence. A master of silence. Yes, that, that the idea of being a social justice warrior means speak out against evil, but it means layers of commitment to truth, layers of commitment to dignity, layers of process of investigation and interrogation, and, the, and many times where one chooses silence over speaking out, right? The, you know, there's a Hasidic Shavort that one of the Shivim Panim Torah, one of the 70 faces of Torah, is not Pani Mamish, it's not faces, uh, but Shtika, that one, is, one of the 70 faces of Torah itself is silence. And that's what a profound question that to think about there being a covenantal revelatory moral relationship to, to God through silence. How is it responsible to not be heard, not be understood through the human channel of language? 
And so um, actually someone told me recently at, at a shear that I used to attend at Mirkaz Harav decades ago that Reb Svi Yehuda Cook, the, the son of, of, of Rav Cook, uh, in, in his Shmirat Halashon shear, cautioned uh, greatly around sacranut pasula, superfluous curiosity, that we are so curious to know everything. Tell me more. I want to know more of the story, right? In areas that don't have a benefit. Now, now let, me, let me remind us once again that there is a heter. There is a permission to engage in what we'd call Lashon Hara, bad speech, letoelet. When there is a need, there is a benefit. Let's identify some of those cases, right? You go to therapy and you're going to say terrible things about people, about things your mother did to you when you were a kid and something your spouse did to you and something your boss did to you or your colleague, right? And, and I think most people would agree given the sake of mental health and the space of confidentiality, saying horrible things about people in a space of therapy would be something um, that would be permitted. On the other hand, venting, social venting, let me just vent about how horrible this person is, right? That has no benefit at all. And yet processing, we have to process with our spouse or with our friend. I want to process what I just experienced. Can you talk about this situation with me? Because I want to make sense of it, right? And let's maintain some confidentiality. And so um, how do we as individuals in a workplace, in a community, in a, in a Jewish culture, in an American society or a British society, an Israeli society, how do we think about this balance? I want to give one last source here, and then I'm going to open it up for thoughts and questions from folks. What I've dealt with so far is the legal and moral dimension, right? That there are all these legal frameworks and moral frameworks for how we speak out and how we don't speak out and when we do it, when we don't. The last level I want to deal with is the spiritual level. And this is what Jonathan was talking about earlier, HaKadosh Baruch creating the world through speech. The Sfat Emet, the Ger Rebbe. And, and I want to ask the question, what does toxic speech do to our thought and to our souls, our inner lives? He writes, the Midrash quotes the, the verse, death and life are in the hands of the tongue from the great book, Mishlei, Proverbs. It goes on to quote Ben Sira who told of one who found a glowing ember and blew upon it, lighting up a flame. Then he spat on it and it was extinguished. This ember is to be found everywhere. It is the spark of Torah, which is called fire. The word ember, gechelet, is numerically equivalent to the word truth, emet. Truth refers to Torah, by which everything was created. Thus, the ember is to be found everywhere, in everything. The Jew is capable of fulfilling the potential of this spark. Of this, it is written, God blew the breath of life into Adam's nostrils and humans became, Adam became a living soul. Living soul is rendered by the Aramaic translation as a speaking spirit. We have the power in our mouths to awaken the life that lies everywhere. That is why if you walk in my ways, Halakta Bedrachav, is read as working in Torah. This means making a real effort to find words of Torah everywhere, to seek out the stamp and imprint of Torah that is found in every place. And so the Sfat Emet here is telling us the spiritual power of words on others and on ourselves, that life and death can be found in our words and that we can approach all of this with a level of reverence and care and gravitas. Now, I, the last thing I wanna say before I open it up for our last few minutes is I wanna balance um, Let's, let's go back to keep it on this on the Sfat Demet page. I want to balance uh, not being naive with um, with also holding up a spiritual ideal because we live in a real world of politics, 
of of law, of conflict, um, of moral of moral of of moral tensions, and yet we also live in a spiritual world. So that we want to bring these two together. So let me pause here. Thoughts, questions, agreements, disagreements on any of this that we've laid out so far. It's a very complicated subject and uh, the balancing acts are very subtle and people don't really know how to do this balancing act. And by the time you've taken advice on it from your friend or your spouse or your boss, you've already crossed the line anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it's, it, it's very difficult to know how to operationalize something which is so subtle and complicated as this. And for the ordinary person, these very powerful ideas are very hard to put into practice in everyday life. Yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful, Jonathan, thank you. Yeah, and, and I just want to amplify what Jonathan said that um, uh, we have no answers to this. It is really case by case. It requires a lot of wisdom, a lot of restraint, um, a lot of reflection. And I think that's often lacking in our, in our circles. Someone else. I guess one concept that is um, prevalent in American law when they talk about defamation that, that, that didn't really come up here is the idea of a public figure, right? If someone puts himself or herself out in public as, you know, running for office or on a, you know, use the example of, you know, a, a comedy show or something like that, they're, they're almost inviting a certain amount of commentary about them. And so, you know, to comment about them once they, you know, at least in, in, in that regard, once they've put themselves out there, seems like it, it's not the same as really, you know, as really hardcore, like Lashon Hara about someone in particular that, that's not in that environments right who hasn't invited it okay but you know it doesn't seem like that distinction exists here okay yes yes so um so that's great now i i think i think the first uh kind of uh jewish category i would point to that's relevant there is what's called a davar yadua um that we're allowed to quote something that is 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 well known right i can say um you know here's what nixon did right uh, I'm saying something bad about Nixon, but everybody knows it. Everyone knows about Watergate, right? I can say something about what Clinton did, right? It's a historical fact. Everyone knows it's well documented, and so um, in some cases, the bigger the the, the 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 bigger harm is when we're informing people of what they don't know, right? Of course, there's more to it than that, but um, yeah. And once you're a public figure. Um, th- where the information about a person is, is easily accessible and well-known, um, it kind of changes the, the, the dynamics quite a bit. Um, you know, part of what I understand, this is way more complicated, and Evan's an attorney and I'm the furthest thing from it, but part of what I've learned about defamation is um, that you both, I think in most cases, need to show both that um, you were speaking something that was not true and that you knew it was not true, right? What you were saying. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, that's worth kind of reflecting on here, here, here as well. Um, okay, someone else in our last minute or two. Okay, friends, so we only scratched the surface, um, but I wanna just kind of recap what we've said, uh, just, um, uh, and, and, um, and thank you for joining. Um, we, we reflected on how our changing times, 
have, um, have, have really amplified the stakes. They've amplified the stakes at how much more, um, uh, or how much, how, how, how much more fragile one's reputation is and what that means for one's, um, one's, one's dignity, one's livelihood, um, one's life, and how much more damage we can cause than ever before based upon that. And yet some conflicting verses we have, uh, I could have brought dozens and dozens of chazals of rabbinic sources around Shmiyot HaLashon just to understand how serious this is taken. And yet more and more in modern society, we are, feel empowered and there's more microphones out there. We feel empowered to stand up for the vulnerable, um, whether they are the people who have been abused um, by companies or by other individuals and to try to correct those wrongs. And oftentimes we take a lazy way out. Lazy is a little bit too harsh, but we take a lazy way out of not trying to solve problems, but merely public shaming rather than taking other approaches to resolving problems in interpersonal conflicts or in societal conflicts as to how we can solve situations. Or we don't put the proper care reflection into how we word our disagreements around deeds or around people. And so I have no answers for us today, but I think what has to be a part of the Jewish social justice culture, where we fight for the vulnerable, where we fight against oppression and injustice, is also a deep religious and ethical sensitivity to our speech about how we talk about this work, how we talk about people, how we talk about wrongs uh, at, at play. I look forward to continuing to learn with you all. Have a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Thank I enjoyed so much. the enjoyed Thank you so very much. much. Thank, you. Thank you. It was a great learning experience. Thank you.